0: Well, hello again, and welcome back to the Straight A Nursing Podcast. I'm Nurse Mo, and I'm happy as heck that you are joining me here today. We're diving into pharmacology, and we'll be talking about lithium, which is a super common drug that I promise you will see in the clinical setting, especially your mental health, clinical rotations, and on your exams. Before we do that, let's take a quick minute to give a listener shout out to Nurse Karen. Nurse Karen wrote to say this, I recently graduated my ADN program, and I could not have done it without your podcasts giving me the support and guidance throughout the last two years. You will continue to be my number one podcast throughout my nursing career. Thank you for your dignity and strength, and I'll carry those words I have learned from you onto the floor and into the rooms. Wow, Karen, that is just so meaningful to me. And I really hope that you're hearing this. And I bet you are because you said you were going to keep listening, which I think is fantastic. I love it when my teaching goes beyond students and teaches nurses who are actively working at the bedside. I listen to my own episodes all the time when I need to refresh on a topic. So whether you're a student or a nurse, this is the place for you. And thank you again, Karen, for sharing that. Okay, so let's talk about lithium. Like I said, super common. I probably saw lithium the most when I was in my mental health nursing class. But I also would see it come up time and time again because there's a lot of like drug-to-drug interactions with lithium. So while you're learning about other conditions, other medications, you might be seeing, oh, be careful. Don't take this with lithium. We'll talk about that in a bit. I promise you it will be on exams and heck, it may even be on your NCLEX. So what is lithium? It's actually a type of metal. And it's found basically in all rocks, which was something I learned as I was putting together this episode. And it's essentially a micronutrient found in many foods. It's found in nuts, in cereals, in a lot of vegetables like cabbage, potatoes, tomatoes. It's found in fish and in mineral water. So, but when we're talking about lithium in pharmacology, we're talking about the lithium used for medical purposes. And in that way, we use it in its salt forms, which are lithium carbonate and lithium citrate. So we're going to go through the straight nursing drugs format to go through all the key things that you need to know about lithium. So we start with D, which is the drug class. What drug class is lithium in? So lithium is categorized in the therapeutic class of mood stabilizers. You may see it also sometimes referred to as an anti-manic medication. Lithium is one of those that does not have a pharmacologic class, just a therapeutic class. And again, that is the class of mood stabilizers. So how mood stabilizers work, not 100% thoroughly understood. We do know that lithium alters the transport of sodium in nerve and muscle cells and can exert influence on neurotransmitter reuptake, specifically looking at catecholamines and serotonin. The overall mechanism of action is that mood stabilizers decrease abnormal brain activity and bring a sense of calm to areas of the brain that are overstimulated or overly active. So the next letter in our framework is R, and that is for the routes of administration. Well, this one is easy. Lithium comes in one route of administration only, and that is the PO route of administration. Now, with that, you do have different formulations. There's tablets, there's capsules, there's extended release tablets, and there is an elixir. So the most commonly used form is that lithium carbonate. Typical brand names you will see are lithobid, I hope I'm saying that right, Escalith and Escalith CR. Note that that CR is that extended release version. The Elixir formulation is lithium citrate syrup, and that's a clear colorless liquid with added flavors such as cherry or raspberry. So we have a second R in that drugs framework, and that is for the regular dose range. So I don't get too nitty gritty about doses because they can vary so much. And it's not likely that your exam is going to have something super specific. You're not prescribing lithium. But I want you to know the regular dose range so you can recognize if something is vastly out of whack, right? So Very important to know that dosing for lithium is going to be very individualized and can be different from patient to patient. Most adults will take two to three doses per day, even with that extended release version they may take two doses per day. And I saw some cases that said three doses per day. So patients are generally going to be started on a low dose, which is then increased slowly over several weeks while watching for both the desired response. We want to see if it starts working. We also want to watch for signs of toxicity. I'll talk to you a lot about toxicity a little bit later on. Now, it's important for your patient to understand that this can take some time, so they need to be patient. It can take one to three weeks for the effects of lithium to be realized, especially because, you know, we're going to start maybe a little lower because it can get toxic and we're going to go up slowly. A common maintenance dose is 300 to 600 milligrams three times per day. And again, that can vary patient to patient. And what we're doing with this is we're trying to achieve a serum plasma level that is approximately 0.6 to 1.2 milliequivalents per liter. Now, I want you to also understand that lithium is excreted 100% by the kidneys. So if your patient has reduced renal function, What do you think is going to happen to their dose? They're going to require lower doses. So as your patient gets older, or maybe they develop renal insufficiency for some reason, they'll need to have their lithium levels monitored closely, and their dose will likely be reduced. So the next letter in the drugs framework is a U, and that is for the uses. Hey, what do we use lithium to treat anyway? So lithium is mainly used to treat the mania associated with bipolar disorder. It's also used in coordination with antipsychotics in the treatment of schizophrenia. In addition, you may see lithium used off-label as adjunct therapy in major depressive disorder. It is also sometimes used off-label to prevent cluster headaches. And then another off-label use is for patients who have neutropenia or leukopenia because one of the side effects of lithium is increased neutrophils or increased white blood cells. So now let's go to the next letter in that framework, which is a G. And this is where we really get into it. This is where we're going to talk about the guidelines for safe and effective lithium administration. So let's talk about the most important thing regarding lithium administration, which is monitoring for and understanding lithium toxicity. If your exam has a question about lithium, I guarantee you it's probably going to be about the the narrow therapeutic window, right? That narrow range where lithium is effective, and it's going to be about lithium toxicity. Pretty sure that's the only thing they're going to ask, but I want you to know everything just in case. So, again, lithium has a narrow therapeutic window. So what does that mean? That means that, what did I say, 0.6 to 1.2 equivalents per liter. Now, that range may be slightly different. And In an acute episode, we might go up a little higher on what's an acceptable level, but that's the general range for a maintenance dose. But that's pretty narrow. Not enough lithium means it's not going to have any effect. And too much means it's going to be toxic. And that range where it's in that Goldilocks zone where it's just right is very narrow. So we have this very key safety consideration of toxic levels. For this reason, your patient will have their lithium levels monitored routinely and will need to avoid any medications that can cause lithium levels to rise. So let's talk about what these are. The first one is thiazide diuretics and thiazide-like diuretics. Now, these medications will increase sodium reabsorption in the distal tubule, which in turn causes decreased clearance of lithium from the body. So that would cause the lithium levels to rise and become toxic. Ferosamide can also affect serum levels, not quite as much as the thiazide ones. Those are the ones that were mainly implicated. So you may see ferrosamide mentioned. It is definitely going to be used in caution with individuals who are taking lithium. But the Biggest culprits again were thiazide and thiazide like diuretics. The next medication to understand that your patient should avoid if they're taking lithium are NSAIDs, non steroidal anti inflammatory drugs. We often think of these as totally benign medications, they're over the counter, but they do need to be used in very supreme caution or not at all in patients who are taking lithium. Now, The reason for this is because NSAIDs can have a detrimental effect on glomerular filtration rate, or GFR. When GFR is lower, it's not going to be cleared. It's not going to be excreted as efficiently. So lithium level can build up. The next one is ACE inhibitors. Studies have shown that ACE inhibitors like lisinopril can contribute to lithium toxicity through multiple potential mechanisms. One potential cause is that ACE inhibitors can decrease GFR in the same way that NSAIDs do, and this will lead to higher serum levels of lithium. Another potential cause is increased reabsorption of lithium in the proximal and distal tubules, and this is secondary to the decreased aldosterone levels that occur with ACE inhibitors. Now, a similar drug, angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs, should also be avoided in patients taking lithium. A great medication example here is Losartan. This can cause lithium toxicity, and it's thought to be due to decreased GFR, as well as hyponatremia. Hyponatremia can also contribute to lithium toxicity. Metronidazole is another medication, maybe not as commonly mentioned as the others, but I did see it mentioned. This is an antifungal medication that can raise serum lithium levels by decreasing the kidney's ability to excrete the lithium adequately. And then a few others are phenytoin, carbamazepine, and methyl dopa. Probably for your exams, it's going to be diuretics, NSAIDs, and ACE inhibitors. Now, what are we talking about when we talk about lithium toxicity? What are those signs and symptoms? So some common signs and symptoms are going to be nausea and vomiting, tremors, ataxia, nystagmus, dysarthria, dizziness, altered level of consciousness, and that can be simple confusion to full-on acute delirium, dry mouth, and increased thirst. So that's a lot of different side effects. If you just kind of think neurological side effects, tremor, ataxia, the nausea, vomiting, those are probably going to be the most commonly mentioned ones. You can also have changes on the ECG, and that includes bradycardia, heart block, which is really super scary to me, sick sinus syndrome, and T-wave abnormalities. So now let's talk a bit about how we're going to assess our patients who are taking lithium. So you're definitely monitoring their mood and their behavior, especially when starting treatment or making any dose adjustments. And then if you suspect that they have lithium toxicity, you're monitoring their behavior for that as well. You also want to assess their intake. It's really important that the patient avoid becoming volume depleted. So a fluid intake of two to three liters per day is recommended. I don't know about you. I try to go for three liters every day. I never make it. So this is definitely something that's going to require a lot of patient encouragement and patient teaching. We'll also be looking at output. Increased urine output may be due to an adverse effect called diabetes insipidus. But we also want to keep an eye on output because excessive output, like let's say the patient's vomiting a lot or has a lot of diarrhea, this is going to cause that volume depletion, cause that subsequent decrease in GFR, and that's going to lead to lithium toxicity. We're also taking An assessment of our ECG because the lithium can cause that bradycardia, that heart block, other adverse effects. And this is namely going to happen when the lithium levels are too high. Not to say that it can't happen otherwise, but definitely if they're too high, you want to be assessing their ECG. And then you want to take the patient's weight. Lithium can cause weight gain, though this is more common in women than in men. We're also going to be looking at a bunch of labs for our patient who is taking lithium. So obviously, the most important one is that serum lithium level. We're going to be monitoring that once we start therapy. We'll be doing that with any dose changes. We'll be doing that anytime there's changes to renal function. And then simply just periodically throughout therapy, a general guideline is every two months. It's also important to know when to draw that serum lithium level. Some medications you will draw at the peak when you expect the medication to be at its highest level, that's called a peak level, or it will be drawn when you expect it to be at its lowest possible level in the body, and that is called a trough level. And that is what we are doing when we're drawing the serum lithium level. Trough levels are drawn immediately prior to the next dose. And then again, that normal reference range for maintenance therapy is going to be about 0.6 to 1.2 milliequivalents per liter. And I saw a note as I was doing my research not to exceed 2.0 milliequivalents per liter. So again, sometimes it's going to be acceptable for the patient to have a slightly higher normal reference range, especially in that acute manic stage, but it should never exceed 2.0. We will also look at labs for renal function. Because reduced renal function can contribute to lithium toxicity, you're going to be looking at the creatinine, the BUN, the creatinine clearance, and the GFR periodically throughout therapy and, of course, upon initiation and with any changes. Lithium can cause both hypothyroidism and hyperthyroidism, so we're checking thyroid function. Note that hypothyroidism is more likely to occur. Lithium can cause hyperglycemia, so let's keep an eye on blood glucose levels, and we'll also keep an eye on the white blood cell count. Remember, lithium can cause those elevated white blood cells, and it can also cause aplastic anemia. And if me saying anemia made you kind of feel some stress, because anemia can be really a lot and a really big topic, I want you to go back and listen to episode 245, where I break down anemias for you into super simple way to understand them. Okay, so go and check that out. Again, that was episode 245. And then the last one I want to mention for labs is electrolytes. Because lithium is a monovalent cation, it's going to compete with other cations, which can cause electrolyte imbalances like sodium, potassium, magnesium, calcium. Additionally, hyponatremia can cause that increased serum lithium level, and the lithium itself can cause hyperparathyroidism, which can lead to hypercalcemia. Okay, so now let's talk a bit about the safe administration of lithium. So first thing to know is that lithium is absorbed directly into that GI tract and should be taken with food or with milk to minimize GI irritation. So most people take it with or right after a meal. Lithium is typically going to be avoided in patients who have renal impairment and is not recommended in those with cardiovascular disorders due to its effect on cardiac electrophysiology. Lithium is not used in pregnancy, as it can cause congenital abnormalities, including cardiac defects. Note that lithium does cross over into breast milk, so breastfeeding is not advised while taking this medication. And then the drug-to-drug interactions. We talked about a few that can cause that lithium toxicity. Well, here are some more that don't have to do with lithium toxicity, but are still definitely things to consider. So the effectiveness of lithium may be decreased with aminophylline and theophylline. These are both drugs used to treat asthma. And acetazolamide, I hope I said that right, acetazolamide, which is a medication used to treat glaucoma. It's also used to treat edema and heart failure and to treat seizure. So if the patient's taking any of those medications, just know that the effect of lithium may be decreased. There's also an increased risk for serotonin syndrome when lithium is taken with any medication that affects serotonin, such as tricyclic antidepressants, SSRIs, fentanyl, and even the herb St. John's wort. Taking lithium along with an antipsychotic can increase the risk of developing encephalopathy. So be very aware of that. If your patient's taking an antipsychotic and taking lithium, you're keeping a close eye on their neurological status. There are some food-drug interactions involving sodium and caffeine. So if the patient is following a low-sodium diet, they're going to be at higher risk for lithium toxicity. Conversely, a drastic increase in sodium intake can cause increased renal excretion of lithium and thereby lower the effects. Additionally, caffeine can decrease cerium-lithium levels as well. So as you can imagine, there's a lot to teach our patients about lithium. So it's really important to understand that patients who cannot adhere to the administration guidelines, the drug-to-drug interactions, the sodium intake, the water intake, the need to get their labs checked will probably be reconsidered and recommended to take or prescribed alternate therapy because, again, lithium toxicity is no joke. So one of the first things you want to understand is that the patient totally gets what their drug and food interactions are, and understands that a sodium intake needs to be consistent day-to-day rather than having these drastic fluctuations. You also want to teach the patient to drink those two to three liters of water every day to avoid hypovolemia, which can contribute again to lithium toxicity. You should also teach the patient to avoid activities that contribute to sodium losses such as hot yoga or exercising or working outdoors in hot weather. You'll instruct the patient to follow all administration guidelines and to continue taking the medication, even if they are feeling better. You would be surprised how often this happens. I was taking my lithium, but then I started feeling better and I didn't think I needed it anymore. Now, patients need to continue taking it. They feel better because they're taking their lithium. Now, what if the patient misses a dose? They should be advised to take the dose as soon as they remember the missed dose, unless it's really close to the next dose, like two hours before their next dose, or if it's that extended release, if it's within about six hours of the extended release dose, they'll probably be advised to wait and just take their next dose. Now, lithium can cause drowsiness. So when you're initiating therapy, teach the patient not to drive, not to operate heavy machinery until they know how the medication affects them. You also want to make sure your patient knows those signs of lithium toxicity and when to seek medical treatment. You want to ensure the patient understands the frequency and the purpose of their lab tests. You want them to stay on top of those things again, because it's so important to prevent those toxic levels. You want to discuss lithium's effect on reproductive health with your patient and advise them to plan pregnancy and nursing with their physician's guidance. And then you also want to make sure the patient knows not to abruptly discontinue their medication. If they would like to discontinue lithium, this is going to be a conversation with their physician, and it will be done gradually over several months. Okay, that was a lot for the guidelines section. Let's talk a little bit about the side effects of lithium. So it has a lot of adverse effects. The most common, though, are things like weakness and drowsiness. Drowsiness tremors. Now, again, remember, tremors are going to be part of lithium toxicity. So you have to be very careful when you're evaluating your patient. They may just have tremors with their regular lithium levels, but definitely going to be way more pronounced with lithium toxicity. Another common side effect is headache, difficulty with memory. They may be urinating more than usual called polyuria. There's quite a few GI things, which is why they say to take it with food because that can help, but some of the GI issues are abdominal pain, diarrhea, nausea, they may have anorexia, have no appetite, and they may also gain weight. The patient could develop hypothyroidism. That was another common side effect. They could also have an acne-like rash, and then ECG changes can occur when the levels are more on the high side, though, not to say that they can't occur otherwise, but more likely to occur if the levels are more on the high side. Now, some less common, but more serious side effects include DRESS, which is drug reaction with eosinophilia and systemic symptoms. I'm definitely going to do an episode on DRESS because I see it come up a lot when we're talking about pharmacology. Another very serious side effect are seizures. Something called pseudotumor cerebri, which is a condition in which the pressure inside the skull builds up. It's thought to be due to the buildup of cerebrospinal fluid. Another very serious side effect is serotonin syndrome. The patient could also have nephrogenic diabetes insipidus. And if you'd like to learn more about diabetes insipidus, Go and listen to episode 207, where I break down the key differences between diabetes insipidus and SIADH. Renal impairment can also occur with lithium. And then as you can imagine, if the patient's kidneys take a hit and aren't functioning properly, that's just going to exacerbate that lithium problem. Those levels will build up. And now we're at lithium toxicity. And then, of course, all those adverse effects of lithium toxicity as well. Okay, so I know that was a lot to take in about lithium. So here is your short but sweet summary highlighting the most important things to know. And if you would like to get a downloadable study guide that goes with this lesson, check out the episode notes and click on the link for Power Guides. So here's your short and sweet summary. Lithium is a mood stabilizer used to treat bipolar disorder. It has a very narrow therapeutic window, so patients will need to have serum lithium levels checked periodically throughout therapy. Signs of lithium toxicity are tremor, dizziness, ataxia, nausea and vomiting, altered level of consciousness, and even ECG changes. Lithium has many drug-to-drug interactions, including thiazide diuretics, ACE inhibitors, and NSAIDs. Volume depletion and low sodium intake can both contribute to excess lithium levels, leading to lithium toxicity. So there you have it, your short, hopefully short, and painless guide to lithium. Again, check the link in the episode notes for Power Guides. If you want to get a downloadable study guide that accompanies this lesson, And then I will see you back here next week. We're going to be talking about cardiac assessment, and I'll share my best cardiac assessment tips with you. See you again soon. Bye for now. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing.